Back on the Exit 52 podcast, yet again, another day, another pod. It is Friday, December 29th, 2023. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined by Spencer Nathaniel Schultz, here for another preview. How are we doing? Doing quite well. Excited for this one. Got the, the Make the Bank great again, sweatshirt on. It is time. This is the, and I've, I've got, people have tried to scrap with me a little bit. This is the biggest game that has ever been played in the regular season at M&T Bank Stadium. I don't think there's anything close. Someone was like, well, what about 09? They beat the Raiders to make the wild card over the Steelers. And I'm like, brother, this is to make it to the divisional round. This is this is a wild card game, ostensibly. So it's time. This is a massive game against a familiar opponent, a team that came into the Ravens' house and embarrassed them last year, a defensive coordinator that they're familiar with in Mr. Victor Fangio. And Mike McDaniel is... A really good coach. So I'm fired up for this one. I think that if there is a game that you are on the fence about, I don't think it is from the ticket prices. It sounds like it's going to be a packed house. But if you're like, mm, I don't know if I want to go. Well, then go. Yell, scream, be loud. This is the biggest game the Ravens have played in this stadium in the regular season. So the opportunity is before them. We'll get to the injury report and things like that. But with so many guys banged up, the possibility of Mark Andrews maybe integrating back at some point during the playoffs this skips you forward into the 20th or 21st of January for all intensive purposes. So it's time, time for the Ravens to handle business. They've handled it the last few weeks here. There's been even more discussion, even more bulletin board material in the last 24 hours since we recorded that jumbo set episode. So I'm super fired up for this one. It's on a holiday again and man, football season. We don't have that much of it left. Appreciate it while it's here. And I think the Ravens are going to put on a show this Sunday at 1 PM in Baltimore. Yeah, no, it's uh certainly it's got to be right up there. If if it's not the the top, which I tend to think that it is. I know some people have thrown around the uh the 2018 game over the Browns, but once again, I mean, that's a play-in game for, you know, a division title. Obviously, there's nothing to shake a stick at, but I think they were the 4 seed that year and yeah, man, this is kind of it. I mean, not only is it for the 1 seed, but you are playing against the team that would usurp you as the 1 seed. And like that obviously is a big deal. Um, and I think it does make it the uh, the, the biggest game in M&T Bank Stadium's history. And uh, yeah, very excited for it. I think it is going to be a, a cracker of a match, as they'd say, over the uh, overseas there. Um, getting getting, you know, liberal with the soccer, uh, the soccer references lately. But that uh, that would be uh, that'll be the way I describe it. And um, yeah, very excited. I wish I could go um, getting ready for that wedding, as I've belabored the point over a thousand times. But uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun one. It is. So to get into the nuts and bolts of this one, like I said, Sunday, 1231, New Year's Eve, one o'clock kickoff, 44 degrees with overcast, which is what you want at this time of year. Really good weather, honestly, not supposed to be rain. Wind is supposed to be relatively chill there. Gusts up to, I think, like 15, which isn't a gust. I think it's supposed to be between four and nine miles per hour. Last time I checked Miami Dolphins coming in at 11 and four, 10 and a half, 10 and five against the spread. Baltimore Ravens, 12 and three. Also 10 and five against the spread here. And both teams have been on a little covering streak. The Dolphins have covered in four of their last five games and the Ravens have covered in four of their last five games. So teams that have performed a little bit better than maybe the public thinks that they would in certain situations here. And in terms of the injury report, Tyreek Hill has a questionable leg. Andrew Van Ginkle, questionable with an arm. Javon Holland, who has been out since week 12, the outstanding safety questionable had some limited participation i imagine he might play some limited snaps in this one ease him back in jalen waddle a 
according to one Tom Pelissero, which is now reverberated throughout the Twitter sphere, is doubtful to play in this one, not likely to play in this one. Raheem Mostert, also questionable, nursing an ankle injury. If you go ahead and watch that Hard Knocks episode, the Dolphins, the in-season Hard Knocks going on, I watched the last two episodes last night and have a lot of thoughts on that that we'll get into. But uh, Mostert did get banged up last game on the other side of the football. Kyle Hamilton, who at media availability in the locker room today, said that he is you know, it feels like it's very similar to what happened against the Rams. He probably tweaked that same knee that's been bothering him. So he was limited, or two, uh, I think he was limited today, was out yesterday, probably will be questionable in this one. Kevin Zeitler returned to practice. Brandon Stevens, I believe, returned to practice or missed yesterday, something along those lines, something with a leg or an ankle. Patrick McCary, who has been getting a little bit of burn, subbing, uh, spelling, I should say, Ronnie Stanley there. He, uh, I believe has cleared concussion protocol. Arthur Mollette there as well. And then finally, Zay Flowers has not practiced yet this week. And you should be seeing it on your screen right now. So both teams very, very banged up. And wanted to get your thoughts in one second. But trying to see here, I mean, the Ravens, a couple games removed from their bye, which obviously was a super, super late one here. And I'm trying to find when their bye was exactly. It was in week. 10. So a little bit before the Ravens, but they've uh, won five of their last six after losing to the Chiefs. They've beaten the Raiders, the Jets, the Commanders, lost to the Titans in epic fashion, which felt like a, a really propelling game for the Dolphins in that epic Will Levis end of the fourth quarter comeback down 15, uh, maybe down 14, pardon me. And then they go ahead and thwack the Jets 30 to nothing and get business done on the leg of Jason Saunders and on the backs of a defense that's been performing really well here. So both teams coming in hot, hot, hot. And this is it. This is for all the kitten caboodle. If the Ravens win, and I will digress into saying that the Dolphins would then still have to beat the Bills next week, which is no small feat. And the Ravens would have to take care of the Steelers who have given them trouble. So uh, with that in mind, the most definitive thing that can happen in this game is if the Ravens win at home as three and a half point favorites. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it, it's certainly going to be quite a battle. I, and you mentioned the hard knock stuff. I've been seeing clips of it. I think uh, they, they come across as really impressive, well put together uh, type team. I actually have a, a buddy, uh, Wade Harmon, who's uh, on the coaching staff there. And, you know, he spoke really highly of McDaniel when I spoke for, uh, with him for season in between over the summer. And uh, you can definitely see it. Uh, just the way that he approaches relationships with his players, I think is really, uh, really impressive. It's kind of that new agey type thing where it's like, they're not necessarily like friends or friendly with the guy, but he's younger. He can relate to these guys a lot better. Um, he, you mentioned some of the, uh, the fashion choices and things of that nature. Like he's definitely a little bit of a flashier guy in some ways, but he's also pretty self-deprecating. Um, he also, uh, had, and I want to pull this up here. He had some good stuff to say about Lamar Jackson, uh, to the media today. Uh, I think it was today, but uh, yeah, let's just play the clip. Let it speak for itself. I, I offered my skill set to be scout team quarterback to try to replicate it, but it was um, not accepted. Uh, so it, it's hard to even give um, an appropriate look. It's, he's, he's just that type of player. Um, and I, you know, outside of this game, I'm just happy for um, the player because what I recognize is you talk about an unbelievable talent, but even him, he's had to say, um, he's had to define himself. He's had people tell him what, 
what he is and he disagrees. And how can I tell? It's not because I've had a conversation with him. Uh, I see better I hear. Someone who does a great job providing perspective, putting their players' perspectives into his. And when you go watch Hard Knocks, you see someone that, and, and McDonald, McDaniel has openly talked about this, but to me, I see the, I don't know the right way to phrase this appropriately. I'm going to try my best, but the intensity of someone who has had addiction and has thwarted that and refocused those addictive tendencies and behaviors into something that is positive and able to hone in on a hobby, a passion, a fixation, and it's football. And you see them respond in hard knocks to that blow up against the Titans there by being able to go ahead and narrow their focus, narrow their intensity on the Jets, and then without Tyreek Hill, just go beat the doors off of a divisional opponent. And the Jets do have a tough defense. They do have absolutely dog shit quarterback play and all of that. But, I mean, the Jets, it's a divisional game. We've seen crazier things happen. Look at what just happened with the Chiefs in Kansas City and you know Aiden O'Connell throwing for zero yards in the final three quarters of that game. And being able to then go ahead and uh, get the job done. So the the focus and intensity that he provides – I think is a beautiful thing. I think it's something that makes boys into men as you're still trying to help grow some of the younger players over there, the Jalen Waddles, the Tua Tugboyloas, the Devon A-Chains, the Javon Hollins. And so you see those leadership qualities. And then the the dichotomy of that and the contrast of the nerdy, like the words I'm going to use aren't even hyperbolic enough. They're not full enough in saying he's nerdy, he's a character, he's zany, all of those quirky things that he does and the way he presents himself. So they have a lot of fun down there in Miami, but don't get it twisted. They've got some hitters on that defense. They've got some boys that like to throw some body weight around, and they have Alec Ingold that they signed to a contract because he brings a level of physicality and versatility to that offense. So they have the flash of a team that plays out of Miami and the speed of a team that plays out of Miami, but this is not the Dolphins of the last 20 years that have those flashy, high-flying elements but get kicked in the teeth when they go play teams that provide that level of physicality, uh, especially, I will say, since Jalen Ramsey came back. And I think that's one of the, in all this MVP talk everyone's been doing, you want to look someone at someone who's provided a lot of value in terms of a unit being better as soon as he returns, it's Jalen Ramsey. This defense has been playing out of their mind. They're argu arguably the top unit in football. Uh, in terms of efficiency and those things on the defensive side. I think the Ravens have presented their case against some better teams than the Dolphins have played. But, man, the success rate, the run D, the run success, the EPA per rush, all of those things are heavily, heavily, heavily tilted towards a Miami defense that really is kind of anchored by Christian Wilkins, Bradley Chubb, and Ozzie Newsom's swan song pick, Zach Sealer there out of Ferris State, who is on the hard knocks a lot, which is fun. Yeah, it's uh, you make a lot of good points there. I think particularly the uh, the personal stuff that he went through, I am pretty interested by. If you listen to that uh, podcast that Jordan Rodriguez did for The Athletic over the summer, uh, I think it was called The Play Callers, and that dives basically into the whole Shanahan, like basically the Mike Shanahan tree, but starting kind of with Kyle and now how he sort of created his tree and then McVeigh coming out of that and people coming out of McVeigh's system, people coming out of Shanahan's system. And I think McDaniel is kind of the uh, the shining star of that group right now if he had to, uh, if he had to make me pick. Um, just with the way that, like I said, he's able to relate to his players. And you mentioned the uh, the addiction stuff. I think he was in or is an alcoholic, and 
uh, was able to overcome all that. He's he's a family man. He's you know got a young family, and I think he probably translates that over pretty well to his players. But just a very disarmingly kind of self-effacing approach that he takes. But there is a lot of I think there's a lot of fuck you hidden underneath that that he probably uh, you know maybe he thinks you know people look at me a certain way and think I'm a certain way and you know, make their preconceived notions about me that I'm just some nerd or whatever. He started out as a ball boy and had to work his way up. He's almost kind of the anti uh, your your guy McVeigh there a little bit. He really had to. Um, I, I know you have your qualms about McVeigh being born on third base a little bit. It's it's almost kind of the the inverse of that. I think that's a, an interesting dynamic. And I do think the defense, you can't discount what he's done on the defensive side of the ball because you hire these young offensive gurus and you think oh they're going to come in and do basically what he has done on the offense you can't discredit that but you, you got to look at the defense too and uh looking at their epa metrics um on rbsdm if i can pull that up right now pretty impressive uh they're third in overall uh defensive epa i think uh and just kind of looking through some of the uh the numbers here pretty consistent across uh drop back and uh rush epa both in the negatives there so uh an impressive unit for sure it is, and especially over that week 10 mark when you filter out everything since their buy and integrating Jalen Ramsey in. And again, you, you might want to look at DVOA, which accounts for them probably playing some lesser opponents, lesser offenses in particular. But when you go ahead and look at the success rates that they've allowed in the run game, 30.1 elite rushing EPA negative 2.81 almost minus three there elite dropback success rate number two to only the browns dropback epa per play they're number two to the bears so this unit is playing collective football and that's also again without javon holland who was the best player on their defense prior to the bye week uh, they get him for a couple games there i think one and a half or so week 11 week 12 but when you look around overall in terms of that team that defense they have Andrew Van Ginkle, a ball of hair who, you know, him and Dennis Gardeck down in Arizona, players that I've, I've always been super fascinated by. And he's really turned up the intensity there and is a fire starter for them. And they are going to be the most physical front that the Ravens have played probably since the Browns. So in terms of what the Ravens need to do offensively, I think it is tire those guys out early by going tempo, going fast. If you can get Sealer and Wilkins a little bit gassed, even Bradley Chubb to an effect, then I think you're able to start having Lamar Jackson make plays outside of the pocket and able to do a couple fun things against them. So uh, that's something I'd be looking to early in this one. And when you look around the rest of their defense, they kind of have this big physical hulking front that sets the edge really well and does a lot of great things, but then they've got some smaller players, faster players who play with physicality on the back end. If you go look at that Cowboys game, they've got guys like David Long, who's been playing really well. Not a great coverage defender, but man, can he hit. They've got Raquan Davis in there too, someone I was super high on coming out. Duke Riley, an undersized linebacker who's been having an awesome year. Brandon Jones, a really tough downhill defender. Cater Kohu, who uh, is very interesting in hard knocks. He's from Ivory Coast and his family came to see him play last week for the first time, but someone that plays with his hair on fire for sure and kind of hits above his weight class. Deshaun Elliott, who Ravens fans are, of course, familiar with, has been playing a ton uh, this entire season for them, really, really consistent on the back end. And him and Brandon Jones, as well as Javon Holland, have all been elite run defenders. They fit the run really well, and that's Vic Fangio's whole thing, man. They're going to fit from the roof with 
intensity. And you think that because they give you these two high shells, these open field looks, that you're going to be able to run the ball in them. Well, like I said, number one, Bradley Chubb is a heavy-handed badass in terms of setting the edge and being a power player inside, especially against the run. Sealer, the same thing. Wilkins, the same thing. And then Van Ginkle has a little bit more explosiveness to kind of close down the line, and they want to put him on the weak side of a formation. Then when you've got Holland and Deshaun Elliott and David Long coming downhill, that's some pop, man. That is some pop. And I know that this is going to sound like a broken record, I guess, after just facing that 49ers team that was supposed to be the same thing. But I see, especially with Hafunga out for the 49ers, I see this unit as probably a touch more physical, especially without Javon Hargrave fully healthy as well as uh, Eric Armstead there for the 49ers. So I think this front is healthier. They are more physical, and you need to tire them out for sure. Yep, no doubt. Um, I think it's going to be a, a war, and you kind of look at their grades here across the board. Everyone's kind of looking pretty good. Xavier Howard now playing as well, maybe with that 56.3, but a lot of green and a lot of blue for people that just kind of want, want to look at it from a PFF uh, grading perspective there uh, on the uh, the lineups that they've got. So Ravens offense, I think, is going to have their hands full in this one. Uh, interested to see how they choose to attack this defense for sure. And like Fangio, you got to know that he's going to be trying to cook something up here. He, he's looking at this as a, a revenge game for sure because the Ravens do not take player safety seriously, as we all know. Oh, no, they do not. And, and I'm sure that Vic Fangio would be super cool with the Ravens running the ball late uh, to go cross that 100-yard mark, which they did actually just barely cross against the Niners. I don't think I've seen anyone talk about that one. They do have a pretty long running streak there. What is it, 32 games now maybe of 100-plus yards rushing? So. Uh, the <laughs> Vic Fangio there, it was asked about it, I believe in Miami and had really good coach speak. And something else that stood out to me about him in particular was that he is not on hard knocks. They do mm. not show his face. He does not speak. He is not, it is as if he does not exist on max. The artist formerly known as HBO max. So, uh, you're to your point, these young offensive minded guys, it reminds you a lot of McVeigh in an upside down world where they go to who did McVeigh go to early on with the Rams. Yeah, Wade Phillips. Phillips. Exactly. Huge coaching tree that comes from Wade Phillips. Expert. One of the more influential defensive coaches of this century and before it. And then Fangio has influenced so much of what goes on today with his two high shells and all those kinds of things. So uh, really interesting on that side of the ball. And then, like I said, familiar opponent. They're physical. Um, they. I'll get into some of their other things in a little bit. But wanted to flip onto the other side of the ball because... The Ravens, we've talked about it, like if not now, when, if this isn't your time, when, the ability to play three, four, I mean, four really good teams, Jags going through some sliding and some injuries and not playing up to what they expected this late in the season, but having the Rams, Jags, 49ers, and then Dolphins in a row is about as tough of a stretch as you can have in the NFL, especially right now, as teams are in their current form and situation in December. But when you have a bye right before that, and you just so happen to play three guys that coach together, share similar philosophies in terms of how they use motion, in terms of personnel, you go ahead and see, oh, the Dolphins just happen to have Alec Ingold, who they like to use a lot in a lot of different ways. Kind of similar to Kyle Juszczyk on the 49ers. And uh, the, the way that they really set their offenses up so that their pass game is based on play action, misdirection, motion, so that they can create larger windows and then hit guys in stride underneath who are really dangerous after the catch. 
The Dolphins do it in a more need-for-speed way. The Niners do it in a more physical way with Kittle and Ayuk and CMC. The Dolphins, though, are now reduced to their backs, who are somewhat dangerous but also have been banged up. A-Chain had an injury and has not been that ultra-electric, explosive player. And then Mostert, who is also nursing an injury and has turned a little bit more physical, I'd say, this year. He said he gained weight for this season. It's kind of putting all of those eggs into the Tyreek Hill basket. And Hill, as dangerous as a player as there is in the NFL after the catch and downfield, but it's not Ayuk and Debo and Kittle and CMC and that entire danger that is thrown at you. And Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua and Kyron Williams were nothing to sneeze at either. So the Ravens having the opportunity to have that bye week and then probably do advanced scouting into that same tree. I would assume they did something in this sort. I would love to ask them this question. And, hey, maybe we'll send this to a reporter and they can ask this question in their next availability with the coaching staff. But I feel like you take those three teams and there are three buckets when you watch film during your bye week. There's all three of them do this. Things like fast out motion that Mike McDaniel has popularized with Tyreek Hill. All three of them do that now. Like using uh, under center drop back game a little bit. Do two of them do that or do one of them do that or do all three? Well, I say that the Dolphins don't. The Dolphins keep it out of spread. So that's where they're a little bit different. So having that time in that bye week to say who does what and how many of them do it, how do they do it differently, I think creates an efficiency into long-term advanced scouting. So the Ravens man opting not to take that bye after that London game, winning that London game, winning after, is huge for this game right now. And uh, for Jalen Waddle to not be in this one, that's a lot of the danger. That is a lot of the danger of why teams play the Dolphins with soft cushions. And you can't quite really hone in on Tyreek Hill underneath. You can't do stuff like spot dropping a linebacker inside of his leverage so that the first immediate slant window isn't there in the hook and then having a corner play outside and then shading a safety. If Jalen Waddle doesn't play, that opens up a little bit. And it allows you to maybe on the backside of Tyreek Hill, lean in, play a little bit more press, and get ready to fit the run to a team that likes to run the ball to the outside. You can be a little bit more dangerous around the line of scrimmage away from Tyreek Hill. So um, the the kind of final, what, what did I say all three teams do? Motion is used to create throwing windows and to expand second level defenders. and the Ravens have already dealt with that. The Rams gave them issues with it. They fixed them against the 49ers. And now, if J Jalen Waddle doesn't play, I mean, of those three offenses in the weeks that the Ravens have played them, the Dolphins is the least scary from that perspective of danger, yak, balance. But Tyreek Hill is probably the best player and most dangerous player among all of them. So a little bit more unique in that sense. And man, this Ravens defense has really seen it all. And had success against a very similar offense last week. I do think Tua is better than Purdy, and I do think Stafford is better than Tua. But the Dolphins, and I'll, I'll pass it on to you after this, I think are one of the most one-sided pass games in the NFL. They don't run a lot of straight drop back. It's a lot of spread, play action, and RPO. Tua only, uh, I think, has 31%, according to PFF, percent of his dropbacks are RPOs, play actions, uh, screen or no, excuse me. It's higher than that. I think 66% of his dropbacks have some form of screen RPO or play action, something like that. I'm, I'm twisting my numbers up, but 
what I'm getting to is that they don't run a lot of true dropbacks in comparison with other teams. Tua gets the ball in 2.23 seconds on average. And on deep balls, which Tua throws the seventh fewest of among qualified quarterbacks, he gets the ball out in 2.8 seconds on those. So he runs, he throws the ball deep about as little as anyone, but leads the NFL in yards, touchdowns, and yards per attempt is either first or second in those when he does throw the ball deep and he gets the ball out on time deep, which is really hard to stop. So that is the kind of game breaker to me. Yeah, I think uh, you, you make a lot of good points there. And that's where I want this Ravens defense like to essentially kind of what Kyle Van Noy talked about. Um, just essentially treat these two games, these past two games, sort of as like a, a one game type of approach, right? You got six days rest uh, coming back across the country. Just get right back in the lab and just get yourself right. Get yourself healthy. Brandon Stevens being added to the injury report today definitely concerned me. Roquan's been dealing with that shoulder for a while. Hamilton with the knee. You don't want these guys to overdo it and get hurt in this game, but like you really want them to just be able to do whatever they can to get out there and to just keep their preparation uh, essentially just in sync last week to this one because it is going to be, like you said, a lot of similar concepts. The talent uh, is better in some areas. It's worse in some areas. So, it, you know, you're kind of looking at a washout uh, as far as that goes. So, Get yourself right, get out there, and just do what you have to do to stop some of the stuff. And you know Patrick Queen's taking a lot of personal pride in being able to do that with uh, his tweet that he had a couple weeks ago that was deleted, you know, with all the eye candy and things like that. They weren't fooled by it in San Francisco, it didn't seem like. So, you know, go out there and just keep the same thing rolling. And, you know, we'll certainly see what they uh, they bring offensively. I'm, I'm sure they're going to have a few wrinkles up their sleeve, especially without Waddle. That almost makes you think it through a little bit more if you're McDaniel. What can I do to free open this guy? What can I do uh, to get Ingold rumbling and get the running game going? Uh, going to be a lot, uh, lot to take in, but philosophically to some of what you were talking about, I think McDonald kind of reminds me uh, confusingly of McDaniel a little bit um, because they're just two young guys. They have a lot of humility and they seem to be deep thinkers uh, in the way that they approach the game. And I did want to share a uh, clip from him at the uh, podium today. If you're not learning on a week to week basis off of how your guys are playing and how you're calling things and how you're structuring game plans and the positions your guys are, um, you're trying to put your, your guys in and, um, how things are ruled out and how clear they are, um, then you're, you're doing your team a disservice. So that's something that we take a lot of pride in of trying to learn from week to week. Um, and definitely that game, you look back and um, we made a lot of corrections after that game, you know, take strides for the rest of the year. And, you know, unfortunately, those are going to happen in the NFL. And it's about how you respond as a team and taking responsibility for, you know, things that you can improve on. And I think as a team and definitely individually, like that was our approach then. And, um, that's a long time ago, man. Um, you know, we're, uh, but you know, you're obviously going to try to learn from, from every, every setback that you have. Your thoughts on, uh, Mike McD going up against Mike McD this week, Mike McD V Mike McD. I think they're L I Y L I I geez, L Y I N G about not talking about that or thinking about that or bringing that up. How could you not? That was one of the most embarrassing losses humanly possible. And I think the cheese as a coach, as a quote unquote leader of men of these guys came in our place and embarrassed us last year, so on and so forth. And to your point, we were DMing about this earlier and you were like, well, they didn't have Roquan then. Uh, they also didn't have Marlon late in that game who went out. They had Marcus Peters and Jalen Armour Davis starting. Brandon Stevens was not the guy he is now and was not getting that burn. Uh, Jalen Armour Davis just letting Tyreek Hill go. Just a lot of uh, a lot of my bads in that game, a lot of pointing and like hands up and that kind of thing. Yeah, I haven't seen that from them. I don't think once this year it is. It is night and day. So maybe Mc, 
Oh my god, I'm gonna mess them up now. McDonald, I'm gonna get into. Shout out to our guy. Shout out to your guy, Schrager. Actually, did a really nice video walking through the streets of New York, uh, kind of breaking that down. Maybe you want to go and watch that. The Schrags, the Schragermeister, guy with the face. The guy with the face. Uh, I'll definitely check that out. So it is a lot different, and Roquan Smith in this one, much different. Their pass rush, a lot different. The Ravens are leading the NFL in sacks and turnovers, and it's late in the season. This is a game you're supposed to win on that side of the football. And looking around this Miami team in the more traditional metrics and stat, well, not metrics, stats, offensively, third down completion percentage, ninth in the NFL. They convert 42.4% of those. Defensively, they allow 36.6, which ranks seventh. Fourth down. They're a little bit more poor. They've only converted 42.9% of their fourth down conversions. That ranks 28th. They have allowed 46.2, which is the 12th best. Then finally, when you get into the red zone, the Dolphins are quite polarizing on each side of the ball. They have scored 35 touchdowns on 54 tries, which is 64%, 65% really, and ranks third in the NFL. But defensively, they also allow 64% of those opportunities. So this is the red zone game. And last year, you couldn't keep the Dolphins at the very end of that game. Jalen Waddell, who might not play in this one, goes up and dunks on, I think, Jalen Armour Davis, a little Crimson Tide on Crimson Tide violence there to win that game. So the Ravens have to capitalize offensively in the red zone. And the one thing this Dolphins team has really struggled at is running the ball downhill and especially running the ball in short yardage. They don't feel that they can do it. Their offensive line is a weak unit relative to especially their team, but also within the NFL itself. They have had some guys come, some guys go, and that is where you want wow. to be. There you go. Pause. So with that, the guys that they've been trotting out, I mean, they have Teron Armstead there who has been playing really, really, really well and is an anchor, a high-paid player, all of those kinds of things, and is pretty damn good as a tackle. They run off of him a ton, but the Ravens just saw Trent Williams, who's a little bit better than Teron Armstead is. We also see them have Robert Jones in there, who the Ravens fans should be familiar with from that diving over the, the goal line play that didn't count uh, back a couple years ago. He's a right guard for them. I thought, was, uh, I thought it was Robert Hunt. Oh, wait, it is a different Robert. Yep, both yeah, Mike, Mike's brother. Correct, Mike Hunt. So then you have Lester Cotton at left guard, and boy, oh boy, he stinks on ice. One of the lowest-rated players in the NFL. Slow, not athletic, not powerful. One of the worst starters in the NFL, I will say. Liam Eikenberg, the tackle out of Notre Dame, is now playing center. Doesn't look natural there. PFF has him with one good game this entire year, and it did not come at center. Came at left guard against the, the Washington Commanders and their pitiful, terrible, awful defense. Uh, Kendall Lamb playing some right tackle. He's been dreadful too. So that offensive line is a weakness, and man, that does not sound good when you have to go into the white trash bank and have a bunch of drunk New Year's fans screaming their heads off. You've got an inexperienced offensive line, a timing-based pass game and offense, a team that simulates pressure better than anyone else in the NFL and has Genevian Clowney, Justin Matabike has been bringing, you know, sacking the shit out of the quarterback. Adafi Owe generates a ton of pressure. And when Tua gets pressured, so maybe you're probably going to throw a couple false starts in there, I'd imagine, to some inexperienced teams. But when Tua Tugvoiloa is pressured, he averages 5.6 yards per attempt. He has a 41 completion percentage, which is second worst in the NFL to Mac Jones. 
And uh, on the conversely, if he's kept clean, is arguably the best quarterback in the NFL when kept clean. So that to me is a recipe for an up and down volatile day. Take Jalen Waddle out of there. You can't run the ball inside. We just watched the Ravens play and fight against the 49ers and Trent Williams in that outside zone scheme. There's, you know, Raheem Mostert's having a nice year. A chain, maybe he can turn the burners on in this one, but he's not as electric as Christian McCaffrey is, not as effective. So that to me is blood in the water of that offensive line, of how loud this game should be and better be. And a quarterback that, much like Trevor Lawrence, we talked about in the breakdown of the Jags. Those are kind of two of the most high differential drop-offs from when kept clean to when under pressure. They make mistakes heavily when pressured. Turnover-worthy plays, taking sacks. Uh, Tua, I think, has less taken less sacks than any quarterback who's played most of the season. But um, I just don't see how the Ravens' defense, especially without Waddle, and if Mostert is not himself how they don't tee off it it has to be an all-time performance from Tyreek Hill I guess Tua has to not get rattled and that's been an issue so fool me once in that I'm more than willing to lose on when I went into diving into this game and some of the tape and watching the Cowboys game I for some reason I don't know what it was but my gut was like this is going to be tougher than the 49ers this is a worse matchup for the Ravens than the 49ers I don't feel that way at all um I feel that this is an important game, but I guess to kind of get to to the end here, prediction-wise, I mean, I, I really do think this team is going to struggle on the offensive side of the football against the Ravens' defense that is not fooled by the bells or whistles, is more physical, understands how to rally and tackle in space, and they've dealt with such similar offensive structures over the last month. So it's going to take a Tyreek into a masterclass and maybe Devon A-Chain, you know, can reel off a long play or something. But I don't see this. The over-under is 47. I think there's a pretty low shot that hits in this one. The, the Dolphins are playing a different brand of football. And with Jalen Waddell, they're going to have to manufacture some pretty sustained drives, be able to not commit false starts when it's loud, get out of a couple third and longs, minimize sacks, and really make mistakes overall to get away on this Ravens defense. Yeah, this one to me comes down to just finishing. And you talk about not taking the cheese last week. Ravens, I think, are going to have to stay on their P's and Q's, play the game straight up, bend but don't break. My favorite saying, if you want to let them drive on you a little bit, that's fine, but just tighten up in the red zone and do not let them score touchdowns. And on the other side, you got to be as clinical as you were last week where you had the sequence with the two touchdowns in 20 seconds, whatever it was. You had the fourth down run with Gus Edwards. They were just clinical and they got it done and they executed and they they kicked a lot of field goals as well. But you can do that. You can certainly do that if you also go out there and score three touchdowns when you get the other opportunities too. So it's going to come down to that for me for the Ravens offense and for the defensive side. If you want to let Tariq Hill get behind you a little bit, if you want to let A-Chain break off a few, I'm fine with that. But just keep them out of the end zone and uh, frustrate them. And I think that'll be the key to a victory. I think that definitely is the key as well as the the live studio audience here grows one, one two more a little you bit just, here. They just, they, they're loving my takes. I'm just, I'm killing it. You are, you are killing it. So I agree. I, I think the Ravens are going to walk away with this one. Uh, Fangio, we're familiar with that structure, familiar with everything that he does. And I think it's just going to come down to if Lamar Jackson more or less plays an average game an above average game, you can score two touchdowns. You can run the ball enough. Uh, Zay Flowers is a question mark in this one, but 
I think he's out. That was said? I think I think somebody said that. I could be wrong. I don't think so. I think he just hasn't practiced yet. Um, that would be a little bit shocking, I feel like. But regardless, what I was going to say is that if he is as banged up as appears and maybe he is out or limited or whatever, this is the Rashad Bateman, Nelson Aguilar, Odell Beckham game. Like You need those three guys to make plays for you. You need those guys to move the chains, and one of them is going to have to generate an explosive play after the catch in some capacity. You can lump Isaiah Likely into that, who's been one of the most efficient players after the catch in the last month since he's taken over for Mark Andrews. But I see this being an under game. I see this being a low 20s to high teens game, perhaps. And the keys I'll finally put on the board are Mike McDaniel, to me, is an outstanding in-game adjuster. And in hard knocks, I think you can really see that. And I mean, in terms of offensive schematics, here's what they're doing. Here's what that creates for us and what we're going to do. You see it week in and week out with him. You can't let them have the ball last. If they have the ball last, he is awesome. He is good enough. I think he is the best sequencing play caller and marrying everything together of any of those three and really in the entire NFL, therefore, of McVay, Shanahan, and him. So can't let them have the ball last. I will say that the Ravens lose this game if the Dolphins can score before half, probably a touchdown, especially if they double up. And you cannot let the Dolphins have the ball last with anything under 45 seconds or so at the end of the game. That is not a situation you want to be in. And they also do have a really good kicker too. Jason Saunders coming off a heater probably has all the confidence in the world to go put the ball through the uprights. Uh, but with that in mind, I'm going to say the Ravens take this one 23-18 and cover. Mm, love that. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's going to be a close one. I think it's going to be a, a hard-fought one out there. I think the Dolphins offense might have some issues going up against the Ravens defense and then obviously going to be in a pretty hostile environment. And then I think, uh, conversely, the Ravens will probably, they might start off slow. They're tired. They're banged up. They, they really just want and they need to just get through this one with a with a win by hook and by crook, however you got to do it. Um, I've got them doing it uh, 24 to 21. I think it's going to be a close one. Like I said, it's going to be a hard stopper on New Year's Eve, but uh, going to be celebrating in more ways than one uh, on Sunday night uh, with the Ravens win. Would be fantastic. Ravens righting their wrongs of holidays that they've ruined for for many Ravens fans over the last decade or so. So get out to the bank, get there, be loud, make the Dolphins go silent count, all of that great stuff. And we'll be here. We appreciate everyone listening. YouTube's been going crazy lately. Please like, please subscribe, please head there if you can. And man, if not now, when? Absolutely. Well said. I think we should uh, we should make shirts with that on it. I think you got to get on that as your next project. Uh, I would wear um, so yeah, we appreciate uh, everyone tuning in. All the engagement for the last couple of days has been really, uh, really great to see. Really helpful. Uh, appreciate it, uh, all you guys very much. Uh, as we take this thing into yet another year. Uh, in the meantime, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, like, comment, get the algorithm pumping, get us some ads in here, get some monetization. We like that. Follow us on social media, Exit Fifty Two Podcast across Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm at Jake Luke. That's L O U. QUE Spencer's at Ravens Four Dummies. That is the number four in the middle. Brian at Borstool Banks. Taylor at Taylor Smythe Ten. Eric at EDITTI Twenty Two. Thanks to all our sponsors: Jimmy's Famous Seafood, Black Eyed Susan Spices, Fed Thrill, all that good stuff. Much appreciate uh, all of them, and much appreciate you guys. And uh, we'll talk to you again uh, on 
Sunday night, I guess. We're, we're going to have to figure that out. We'll but. figure We'll figure that part out. It might be Monday morning. It might be Sunday night. But with that in mind, see you. All right. Later.